This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah, are, I don't know if you're ready for Christmas, but are you ready for the season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm way ready for I got the memo. Or yeah, there you go. Um, we are going to have some fun. I'm going to we're going to do some stuff that uh, I've been a pastor for 48 years, and we are we are ready to launch into a series that I've I've never ever spoken from this particular passage in the Bible before to a large audience. So we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to learn some stuff along the way. We're going to be challenged and inspired. And part of the reason why it's called an unexpected Christmas is because we're going to unwrap some wonderful gifts that God has for us that we've probably never taken a really good look at before. So are you up for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a great time. Did you appreciate worship this morning? Wasn't it great? Yes. My prayer for all of you, even if you've never been to church before, you don't regularly go, my prayer for all of us is that throughout this season, that uh, we would have moments of, of clarity and moments where we come face to face with the reality of what Christmas means. Um, Friday... My wife and I went to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, okay? It was everything that you might imagine, but one of the first things that, that happened inside me is as they started singing and playing about Jesus, and the lights were flashing and, and pulsating to the, to the drum beat, and, and the guitars were blaring, and, and, the, and the, the vocalists were singing about how wonderful Jesus is, I just teared up. And I thought, here we are 2,000 years after Jesus came and visited our earth in an obscure country half a world away, and here we are 2,000 years with lights and, and, and stuff, and we are singing his praise. I just thought, golly, I want that feeling this whole season. Um, and by the way, if that's what it's like on earth, okay. Imagine what it might be like in heaven when we get there, all right? Great, great time. I hope you have those moments where the mean, meaning of Christmas becomes crystal clear to you. During this season, I know I want that for me. So let's start with a couple of things. First of all, my name is Ron, and I'm the founding pastor of New Life, and so this morning I'm going to be guiding us through this passage I was talking about. And let's start with, a, with an understanding about the Bible, because the Bible's not a typical book. The Bible is actually a collection of 66 ancient manuscripts. All of them were inspired by God. In other words, someone got a message from God, hey, Get a pen and start to write because I'm going to tell you things that are absolutely important for your life. Of those 66 ancient manuscripts, four of them, no less than four of them, are dedicated to chronicling the life of Jesus. Because really, from cover to cover, these ancient manuscripts 
all make Jesus the central figure of the human race. And for good reason. Because the story of Christmas, yes, I know it's got angels, and yes, I know it's got Joseph and Mary, and it's got a stable, and it's got a little baby, and it's got magi that come. And the story of Christmas is really the story of God leaving heaven and coming to earth and taking on a physical human body and living in our world so that he could pay the penalty for our sins and so that he could redeem us or buy us back or save us. And in the process, live a life that you and I could look at that and go, oh, that's how life is supposed to be. So today we're going to dig into that story because we have four eyewitness accounts of the story of Jesus. And today we're going to start with the eyewitness account of a guy by the name of Matthew. Okay? And we're going to actually go into the genealogy of Jesus. And we're going to start all the way back with Abraham who lived some 2,000 years, or nearly 2,000 years, before Jesus. And we're going to walk from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And we're going to take a look at the people who were invited to be part of the process of bringing Jesus from heaven to earth. And that's why today's, the title of the, of the teaching is The Guest List. So who gets invited to be part of this process? Well, I know over the next few days, the next three or four weeks, we're all going to get invited to Christmas parties. And when we get there, we're going to have this question. How did they get in here? Right? You're going to look at the, at the people at that party and you're going to have a curiosity about, um, I know why most of these people are here, but I have a curiosity about how did that person get here? And then occasionally we might have this question, how did they get in here? Because while we might be confused about that person, we know of scandal about that person. And we're thinking, they don't actually belong here. And you know the amazing thing? As we walk through the lineage of Jesus, we're going to have this question, how did they get invited to be in the lineage of Jesus. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and here's how Matthew begins to tell the story of Jesus. Now, he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the what? The Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world that the Jewish nation had looked forward to for nearly 2,000 years. And then he identifies him as the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Matthew wrote to the Jewish people. The other three eyewitnesses account all wrote to different groups of people. Matthew wrote to the Jewish people. And so there were a number of things that were important. And in order for, the, for a person to be considered, even to be considered as a possible Messiah, they had to be a descendant of Abraham. Which is why Matthew started out by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham. And then he also had to be a direct descendant 
of King David because all the Jews knew that the Messiah was actually going to be the person who sat on the throne of David. So he had to be a direct descendant of David in order for the Jews to even consider that he would be the Messiah. Now the whole point of, of the eyewitness account of Matthew is to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus was indeed the Messiah they had looked for for nearly 2,000 years. So that's why he starts right there. He goes on to say, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, if you read this in the old King James Version, it would read like this, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah, and normally that's about the time we be getting on to the next chapter, right? Because <laughs> we're all done with that. But there's some good stuff in here, so let's take a look at it. He says, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you were a Jewish person, you would go, Matthew, what are you thinking? You'd never include a woman in the genealogy. By the way, that was a male-dominated world. Could you tell that? Never. In all the other genealogies listed in Scripture, women are not included, but Matthew decides to include a woman, this woman Tamar. But this is not just an ordinary woman. This is an R or maybe even X-rated woman. In fact, if you were to make a movie of Tamar's life, you probably could not get it shown on any major network, and you probably couldn't get a single Hollywood studio to shoot this story. It's that twisted and that perverse. And yet, Matthew puts her in here, even though she is a notorious sinner of the worst variety. Hmm. Undaunted, he goes on. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Don't you like that name? Wouldn't you love to call your kid Ram? Yeah, okay, all right. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, or Salmon, if you like that, all right. <laughs> Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What's Matthew doing? Here's another woman. Now, if you know anything about Rahab, first of all, yes. You have to be smart enough not to shut the switch off, all right? There you go. (laughs) Rahab is a woman. She is a notoriously sinful woman. You know what Rahab's full name was that most people called her? Rahab the harlot. By the way, if you're looking for a moniker, that's probably not the one you want, right? Rahab the harlot. So we have Tamar, who is a very R-rated character, maybe X. We have, we have Rahab, who's another one of those very seedy... You know, some people have checkered pasts, and then some people have massive checkers in their past, right? These are people who have massive checkers in their past. And yet somehow 
they get invited into the lineage of Jesus, the Son of God. Huh. And Matthew decides to include them. Not only that, look at this. Rahab wasn't even Jewish. Wow. So even the the entire Jewish nation had looked for Jesus for nearly 2,000 years. If anyone had said to them along the way, did you know Jesus was not going to be a pure-blood Jew? That his lineage would be tainted not only by a Gentile, but by a notoriously sinful Gentile who would become known as Rahab the harlot. Matthew goes on. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. What's with Matthew? This is not just one woman or two women. It's a third woman. Now, the great thing about this, and I think that maybe Matthew included Ruth because he knew someday that we were going to teach out of this passage. And so far, we have encountered two women, and they are of um, questionable character, right? Ruth, on the other hand, has impeccable character. And oh, by the way, I haven't taken the time to delineate it, but, but the guys in this story are just as twisted, some of them, as either one of the women I just talked about, okay? So I just want to be up, up front and fair about that. But here is Ruth. Again, another woman, and she's not Jewish either. So now the bloodline of Jesus has been tainted twice by people who are not Jewish. Matthew goes on, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of, father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Did you notice he doesn't even put her name in here? Now, if you grew up in church, you probably know her name. If you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard the story, at least some part of the story, of David and Bathsheba. That's Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not only a woman, she was a notoriously sinful woman. And in fact, this, this woman had a tryst with the king that ended up involving the murder of her husband and the death of one of her children. And somehow, Matthew puts her in the lineage of Jesus and makes sure that we know that she's there. Well, when Matthew does this four times, you know that this is not a random slip of the pen. And I want to give you three reasons why I think Matthew actually detours from all of his current culture. No other Jew would ever do this. No other historian would ever do this. You know what historians did in those days? No one was a freelance historian. They got hired by people in charge, and they were hired to make the king or whoever hired them look good. So if the king lost a battle, usually that was not included in the history. If the king had a son or a daughter who was sort of a wandering sheep of the family, well, somehow, oftentimes, they didn't even get mentioned in the history of that king because kings hired historians to make them look good. And Matthew starts the beginning of his book with the history of Jesus. And instead of doing what his culture normally did, Matthew deviates from it. 
And he invites into this story and notices and records into this story the names of these four women. Why would he do that? Well, I think Matthew knew this. He wanted us to know that Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. You know what? The world that Jesus came into was just as broken as your world. And the family that Jesus was born into looked very much like your family. Does your family have some of those people in the family tree? Probably does. You probably endured them at Thanksgiving and you're dreading them for Christmas. We all have them, right? Brokenness. The family that Jesus came into was broken. He had a harlot in his lineage. He had a woman who was worse than a harlot in his lineage. He had a woman who was, who was party to murder and an affair in his lineage. His family was broken. And I just want to say to you, as we walk through this Christmas season, no matter how broken your family is, no matter how messed up the people are around you, no, no matter how jacked up that they are in their behavior or their history or, or in their treatment of each other, Matthew wanted you and me to know that Jesus knows what that's like. Because he didn't come to a pristine royal family where everything was handed to him on a silver platter. He came from an ordinary family, just like you and me, with no shortage of dysfunction. Got it? Yeah, that's really important. The second thing that I think why, why Matthew did this is Matthew understood that the story of Jesus was, a, was about the story of light coming into darkness, about the story of peace coming into chaos, about the story of purity coming into the midst of massive impurity and making it right. That, that the reason these people got to be part of the story is because they were actually the point of the story. And in this Christmas season, long before there was Frosty and Santa Claus and, and Rudolph and, and all the stuff that's fun and whimsical that we all enjoy, long before there was any of that, there was God coming to earth and mixing it up with people just like you and me because we get to be part of the story no matter who we are because we are actually the point of the story. But I think there's a third reason why Matthew, of all the four eyewitnesses, I think there's a, there's a third reason why Matthew might choose to start his story of Jesus by pointing us to these people of disreputable character that are in Jesus' bloodline. And that is because these were Matthew's people. 
And we're going to get into the story of Matthew when Matthew jumps onto the pages of history. And we're going to take a look at our first real account of, of where Matthew came from. Okay? Now, last week I taught you about four guys who brought their buddy who was paralyzed and they couldn't get to Jesus, so they dug a hole in the roof and they, and they lowered the guy in front of Jesus and, and so forth. Literally, this is the very next story out of Jesus' life. So you've got this house that's so packed with people nobody can get in, and Jesus has just forgiven a man of his sins, and all the religious leaders are, are, are sort of wagging their heads and, and, and going, nobody can do that but God. And Jesus said, well, I know that. So here, I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. I'm going to say to this man who's been paralyzed all of his life, take up your bed, roll it up, and go home. And the guy got off his mat, rolled it up, and he walked out. And then Jesus said, hey, why don't you follow me because I've got something else I want to do. And that's where we'll pick up the story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, let's put a pin in that, and let's talk about tax collectors. Um, you might not like tax collectors. Most of us don't, all right? Um, but I can tell you that tax collectors in that day were even way seedier than the ones today. No offense to anyone that works for the IRS, all right? Okay. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. I'm finishing up an audit with the IRS right now, so if you know anybody up there, say, Pastor Ron's a good guy, all right? Now, having said that, here's how the Romans collected taxes. They sold the right to collect taxes to Roman citizens. So if you wanted to be a tax collector, you paid a fee to the Roman government, and then the Roman government set a quota about how many taxes you, could, you, you were supposed to collect based upon where you were stationed. And then the Roman government said this, whatever you collect over and above that is yours to keep. I can't imagine how that would set up anyone for graft and corruption, can you? Yeah. They had tax collectors at every bridge. They had tax collectors on most roads. They had tax collectors at every port. They taxed goods. They taxed services. They taxed a ton of things. But you had to be a Roman citizen in order to purchase that privilege. However... Rome soon learned that Jewish people did not want to pay taxes to people who were Roman citizens, and that system just wasn't working, so they decided they would sell the privilege to Jewish citizens. Now, no one who was a real Jew would really want to collect taxes from their friends and neighbors. But there were people who were greedy enough that they would do it. And they would pay this fee to Rome so that they could sit there and collect taxes from their friends and their neighbors. Now, I can tell you, from the moment you paid the fee and you began collecting taxes, you were considered an outsider of the community. No one wanted to be your friend. You could never go to the temple 
You could never be declared ceremoniously clean enough to go to a synagogue or the temple. You could never offer a sacrifice. You were never invited to any religious activity ever, ever, ever. And in fact, the Jews had a category. By the way, you and I have these same categories, right? We have categories of sinners, okay? I will tell you this. White lie. Some of the people sitting in our audience don't even consider that a sin. Some would, okay? But way down on the bottom of our sin sinners list, we have people like mass murderers and Hitler and other notorious people from history, maybe prostitutes, maybe those that work in the slave in the slave, the sex trade industry. You and I have this sort of triage thing too. For the Jews, prostitutes, murderers, and tax collectors, all the same. Got it? So Matthew was sitting at a tax collector's booth, and Jesus walks up and says, follow me. All of a sudden... Everyone who was at the house that was absolutely shocked that Jesus would forgive the sins of this man, they long forgot about that because he invited a tax collector to be part of his entourage. Are you kidding me? No one would shake this guy's hand. Because if you shook his hand, you became ceremoniously unclean and you had to go home and go through a whole ceremony to be, clean, to be declared clean so you could go to the synagogue or the temple. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Wouldn't you love to have heard the conversation between Peter, James, John, and those guys? When Jesus says to Matthew, hey, come join the gang, and Matthew gets up, and he just starts going with the gang. I can imagine that they made him walk by himself for a while. What do you think? Are you kidding me? This is awful. So what does Jesus do next? Everybody around him is so in shock. Apparently no one is challenging anything because of what Jesus has just done. And Jesus said to Matthew a very amazing thing. He says, hey dude, let's go to your house and have a meal. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, all of Matthew's friends come. Guess who they are? It's not the local pastor, I could tell you that. It's not the mayor. It's not the city council members. It's not the elders of the community. Who's hanging out at Matthew's house? Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. There's so much in there that that you just have to write a narrative in your own mind. Think about his other disciples who think that they're following the leading Jewish rabbi who is the Messiah of the world, the most holy, well-respected, most powerful human being on the face of the earth, and they find themselves sitting around a table with the worst sinners of the town. Yeah. It, It was confusing. It was shocking. It was, perhaps the only person who wasn't confused was Jesus. I'm sure Matthew's confused 
In all of his wildest dreams, the day that Matthew chose to become a tax collector and he paid that fee and he knew he would be an outsider, he knew he would be an outcast from the community, but he was so broken on the inside, none of that made any difference because probably no one loved Matthew anyway. So, well, I'm an outcast. I might as well get paid for it. And here comes the potential Messiah of the world. And he says, hey, Matthew, why don't you come join the gang? Years later, as Matthew sits down to write this account, I'm pretty sure there were tears on that page. This was his story. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, the disciples have no clue what to say, so Jesus bails them out. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Huh. For all of us sitting here today, we all know the truth of that. Okay? But it's not actually the sick who need a doctor. Yes, they need it. It's not actually the sick who go to the doctor. It's those who know they're sick that go to the doctor. Because you might be sick today and you just don't know it. And you're not going to go to the doctor. But when you figure out you're sick, then you'll either admit it and go to the doctor or you'll be stubborn like some and you'll refuse to admit that you're sick or that you can handle it on your own. And then Jesus closes this particular section by saying, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Does that sound rather theological? Yeah, we'll dig into that as we close. For I have come, not come to call the righteous but sinners. In all of what we do this Christmas season, here's where I would want us to begin, and that is to understand that the point of Christmas is sinners. That's the reason Jesus came. He didn't come so the angels could sing. He didn't come so the magi could come. He didn't come so he could be born in a stable. He didn't come so that we would recognize what a wonderful couple Joseph and Mary were. He didn't come so that, so that he could do miracle after miracle and we could sit there and, and be marveled and, and be awestruck. Jesus came for one reason. He said, I came to call sinners. The point of Christmas is sinners. And friends, if you look in your life and you go, oh yeah, that's me. Well, good. You and I, we are the point of Christmas. Now, I, I want to go back to this passage that's where Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Remember where we started? How did they get in here, right? What's Jesus doing sitting with the worst of sinners and eating a meal with them and pretending that he actually loves and cares for them? The truth is he's not pretending. What are these 
women doing in the genealogy of Jesus? What are these women and men with very checkered pasts, what are they doing in the genealogy of Jesus? How did they get in here? Well, Jesus said, I want you to go learn what this thing means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, the second thing that Matthew would want us to know is the way to get next to God is faith, not religion. And friend, if you have trouble with, quote, organized religion, yeah, I think Matthew did too. And he wants us to understand the way to get next to God isn't by going to enough church services or doing enough righteous things or doing enough holy things. The way to to get next to God is actually faith. And I want to close with this question. Suppose we died today and we stood in front of Jesus and Jesus asked us one simple question. Why should I let you into my heaven? For the entire history of the world, and in every major world religion, the answer would be something like this. Here's a list of righteous things. I've done this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and I didn't get around to that, but I've done this, and this, and I didn't get around to that, but I've done this, and this. These are all the things that I've done. I've gone to church. I've offered sacrifices. I've gone through rituals. I got baptized. I've taken communion. I give my tithe. I work in a ministry. I serve people. I've made donations to cots. I've sent shoeboxes halfway around the world. I've done all these things. And oh, by the way, here's a whole list of things that I haven't done. I haven't done this bad thing or this bad thing or this bad thing, or this bad thing. That one I did, but not very often. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I really didn't mean to, although I actually did. But I was sorry after I did it, and this one. and, And these are all... Listen, friend, does it take sacrifice to do all those good things? Yeah, you earned that money that you bought that stuff that went in the shoebox that you sent halfway around the world. You earned the money that you gave to Redwood Gospel Mission when you bought those turkeys. You earned the money that, that you put down on the table so that, so that you could play in poker for presents and you could give Christmas presents to, to the homeless and the at-risk families in our community. And you took your time and you sacrificed your Sunday morning so you could go to church. And you took your energy and you sacrificed it and you invested it in, in helping other people. And all these things that you didn't do, even though you could, you sacrificed whatever enjoyment you could have gotten and, and for the history of the world. When people have been asked that question, they have basically made a list of everything that they have sacrificed. But Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because in the end, when we stand before God and God says to you and me, 
Why should I let you into my heaven? You know what he, you know what Matthew is telling us? You know what Jesus is telling us? Other than the fact that Jesus had mercy on me by paying the penalty for my sins, I have nothing to offer. I stand in the mercy of Jesus, and that's all I got. And if he doesn't get me in, I don't have a ticket. I'm not in. And when we get to that point that we say to God, I've got nothing to offer you. I can only trust you. And if you tell me that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, then I'm here to accept that. Even though I'm broken, even though I'm a sinner, even though if you put my name in the list of the genealogy of Jesus, people who know me well would be asking the question, how did that guy get in here? And I know I don't deserve it. But if you offer it, I'm going to take you up. Now the reason that Diva instructed us not to turn in our cards, our Start Here cards, is because there's a place on the Start Here card that says, I'm choosing to become a Christian today. As we walk through this Christmas season, I just want to begin it by giving every one of us, if you, if you haven't made that choice yet, by giving every one of us the opportunity to say, hey, I've decided to quit trying to earn God's favor with everything I've sacrificed. Today, I just step in line behind Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, I'm choosing to follow Jesus with my life and I'm trusting that he will take me to heaven. If that's you, check that thing on your card and, and that way we'll make sure that we get the right resources to you. On the way out, I want you to pick up a New Believers Quick Start packet. There are three things in there that will help you get started well. And one is a book that tells you the whole story of the life of Jesus. It's simply the words of the Bible put, put in a condensed form that will walk you through the life of Jesus. It's divided into seven chapters. You can read it in a week. I would suggest that you read it every week for a month, a chapter a day. It's a great way to get started. I'm going to pray and... Uh, and then I'm going to dismiss this, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Matthew and the way that he laid this out and the people he, as you instructed him, he wrote into this story because they were part of the story, because they were the point of the story. That Jesus, you came for people who were very broken, people just like us. And that that's really the heart of the Christmas story. And God, for those of us right now, that we're ready to make that choice. Here's our prayer to you. And friend, if you're ready to make that choice, you can repeat this prayer in your heart right where you are. Dear Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth for people like me. I set aside everything that I thought would sort of make me okay with you. And today I realize that if I just accept your forgiveness, I'm already okay with you. 
and then you go to work on my life, and I'll be changed. So today, I accept your offer. I thank you for it. And all of us together, we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Merry, merry, merry Christmas. We will see you next week. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.